This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Well, I sure hope it's hot where you are, but if it's not, you've come to the right place because we heat things up here on the Sunday Night Health Show, a show all about health. It's been said your health is your wealth and leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, 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 even sexual. That's the cue to put the kitties to bed because we always uncover what lies beneath the covers. Here on the show, listener discretion is advised a word to the wise is sufficient. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath and I have a passion for evidence-based health information as a registered nurse and sex therapist to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be. My aim is to provide you with up-to-date information so that you know there are options for treatment. Please, however, consult with your medical doctor for anything that ails you. Tonight on the program, we have lots to talk about. We have author Jill Sinclair here. She's going to talk about her new book, Date Did What? She's going to talk about her pathway to love. And speaking about love, are you one of those people that loves a lot? We're talking about polyamory and some of the other ways Canadians are loving these days. And also going to be talking a little bit, uh, a little more of a focus on health. Um, Talking about, is it time to rethink what hospitals do for you at the end of life? couple of guarantees in life. They are death and taxes, neither of which we like to talk about, uh, but I think it's an important conversation, and we're going to talk about that here tonight on the Sunday Night Health Show. Speaking of hospitals and healthcare, how much time do you actually have with your doctor? And does it matter who you are? You might be surprised who doctors spend the most time with. Also, I got a lot of flack for this. I wrote a little article about what men want. (laughs) Maybe Andrew can weigh in on that. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you what I want. I want to be able to talk about death and taxes. I think those are two very good things to talk about. Excellent. They're, they're uncomfortable for a lot of people, but you're absolutely right. Death comes for us all. It, just do your best to look fashionable for when it does. We Well, we forget about that. <laughs> that's, it's the clean underwear warning. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be, you don't want to be caught on death's door with a... You sure don't. Wear your best outfit. Absolutely. (laughs) Look good all under. That's why you want to feel good all under. Because when you get to the pearly gates, as long as... uh... Um, but uh, you know what? In the in this life, <laughs> in this mortal life, there are things that men want. And you know, I uh, had a call last week. We talked about feelings. Remember that, mm-hmm. Andrew? Of course, I do. The um, F word for men. And uh, <laughs> so I actually got a call from a male friend who wanted to express Aww. his feelings. He was so awkward. It was so sweet. I loved it. And you know, I I had to hold myself back to fill in the words for him because he was, you know, really choking these words out, but he wanted to express his gratitude. And, and uh, so it was so funny. I wanted to ask him if he had listened to last week's show. <laughs> well, you know, feelings really, that is the F word for a lot of men. Like, you know, it used to be for me. It still totally kind of is anyways. Well, and it's, like, I can definitely relate to that, you know, choking the words out because... It's- Absolutely. And, and you know, what he did was such a nice thing. He had actually thought about it for several days or maybe even a week. And then he said, you know, he, he wanted to call and just say thank you because he realized, you know, how some sacrifices are made. And, you know, but it was just so hard to get it out. And I just I just listened on the other end of the phone, which is always hard this, for me. Yeah. Uh, just, just, just to listen. 
but I just listened. I stayed in the moment and I listened and I loved it. I thought it was just fantastic. And, you know, so if you are thinking about something out there, guys, and you have some feelings and you want to express them to somebody, especially somebody that you love or even just a friend, you know what? Go for it. Just do it. Um, what else are we talking about on the show tonight? Drinking is up. Alcohol. More people are dying of cirrhosis of the liver. Young people. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been talking, going to be talking a little bit about that. But right now, I want to talk about something uh, that I, I basically created this mess that I call my life all by myself. <laughs> all by myself. I have. And so I've, I get offered a lot of... Um, free things, if you will. Sometimes I give out some free things, but I get a lot of offers that come my way and certain things I take. And um, by the way, Andrew, how are you tonight? Are you doing okay? I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. Oh, I'm, good. I'm doing fine. I, I just ate. So I'm on, I'm on that lethargy curve right now. Oh, but, okay. But it's a good like... <laughs> I needed I needed that in my body. I I just ate as well. I had to, I had to have uh, my little stir fry vegetables Ooh. and tofu. I had my salad three hours ago. We'll call it a win for me today. Uh, excellent, excellent. <laughs> I'm gonna be looking for beef later. But anyway, um, I wanted to. I, I get uh, a lot of things come my way, and and so I'm very fortunate in that uh, people offer certain things to me. And so a very good friend of mine, who I have a lot of respect for, especially professionally. Uh, asked me if I wanted a coaching session by somebody who had been an executive and now is going into the coaching field. And and so did I have 30 minutes uh, yesterday uh, to be coached for, you know, and I thought, sure, why not? Why don't I take this? I, I've got some issues. Let me tell you. <laughs> it, it, that's, the, that's always the first step, admitting that you have the issues. Oh my gosh, where do you begin? So he sent me <laughs> the wheel of life. And the wheel of life is, you know, your your finances and your friends and your romantic life and your business life and uh, every single aspect, self-care and, and that kind of thing. So I took advantage of it and he didn't want to know anything about me. So that was, you know, that was great, actually. Not that there was much to tell, but, you know, I just did, it, it, like, he didn't want to know what I did for a living or, you know, anything about my personal life or, but he just said, you know, is there anything, okay, picture this. I'm literally, it was a beautiful day and he didn't want to do it until like five or six o'clock. <laughs> so I literally, I'm standing waist deep in the ocean <laughs> <laughs> with my iPhone. And he says, um, you know, I just, you know, wanted to see how you're doing with the wheel of life and, you know, how are things going in your life? And I'm like, you know, at this moment, everything is awesome. I'm kind of waist deep in something, but it's a good exactly. waist deep. I'm like, you know what? I really don't have any complaints. I, however, you know, of course you're a little bit shy to, you know, mm -hmm. to share, but uh, it had actually a very good outcome because there are some you know, imperfections about me, at least a million. And so one of them is that I have a difficult time speaking up. I know you're going to find that hard to believe since I have a radio show. <laughs> but speaking up is different. Speaking up for yourself is very different. And so... He zeroed in on, I decided to go with the professional life, um, you know, the issues that I had in business. And, and so he zeroed in on one particular issue where, you know, people will email me and, you know, just ask me to do like 
10 or 15 hours worth of work because this will be just such a great opportunity for me to do their work and they'll get paid and I don't basically. And so that's, and so I have a hard time saying this is actually outside of the scope of the current work that I'm doing or, you know, so anyway, he asked me, you know, why I felt this way and, um, you know, why, why did I fear speaking up and saying, you know, did I actually want to do this work with a very tight deadline for no uh, compensation. I think everybody wants to be compensated fairly, that's all. But I was a bit uh, nervous to respond and say, I'm happy to do the work. However, this is what it will require. It will require you to pay me. Uh, so that was something that weighed heavy on my mind. And I get that a lot. Even though I get a lot of free offers, <laughs> I do also get these offers where uh, people are going to increase my profile or uh, that it would be such a great opportunity for me to work and not be paid. So anyway, I wrote back and said, you know, happy to do the work. However, this is what it would uh, involve. So he followed up with me today and asked me, oh, he asked me last night. He said, can you send the email tonight? And I said, no, I can't. And he said, oh, okay, uh, tomorrow night, tomorrow morning? And I said, sure, I'll send it in the morning. And But he didn't ask me why I didn't send it on Saturday night. And I'm like, do I want... The, these people to think I have nothing to do on a Saturday night. <laughs> like, I am very careful about when I send emails. So I, no way, for all you coaches out there, don't ever ask anyone to send, to send anything on a Saturday night because I had something to do, okay? Whether I did or not, I did. Um, but, it, you know, anyway, it made me rethink coaching and it's always something that I've thought I could use and perhaps benefit from. And just that one little thing that he suggested I do and I did made me feel so much better. So anyway, that's my little taste of coaching, professional coaching. And there's a lot of coaches around, um, it seems, these days. And a lot of people with great experience that can share uh, this experience with you and help you to scale your company, perhaps, or help you to grow or help you to set limits or uh, healthy boundaries or deal with your issues in your personal life. I mean, this wheel of life was was fascinating. And um, yeah, so anyway, I could have chosen anything I wanted to, but that was the one I went with. So anyway, tonight we have a great program. I'm looking forward to talking to uh, Jill St. Clair. If you've ever had dating problems or wondered like, what the heck? Did you just fall up a fall off of a turnip truck, my friend, then you're going to want to hear Jill Sinclair talk about her dating life. I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have any uh, que questions at all for me or my guests, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. Or you can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I will be reading your emails in confidence uh, a little bit later on in the program. So right now, uh, Jill Sinclair joins me in studio. Jill went through a divorce, and like many people do, 48% in this country, um, she went on to digital dating, the digital dating scene, to try to find the love of her life. And the pathway wasn't easy. And she has written a book called Date Did What? So you, you want to... <laughs> Welcome to the studio, Jill. Thank you so much, Marie, for having me. You're so cute. You're very welcome. <laughs> I try. So uh, articulate. Date did what? Cute wasn't what I was after. Sorry, sorry. I, no, it's okay. Gloriously <laughs> sexual. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so thank you so much for coming into the studio tonight and talking about this because this is such a challenge for so many people. They find mm-hmm. they they find themselves perhaps alone, uh, haven't met anyone for a while, a failed relationship that they view it as failed. There's no failures in life, only lessons. Uh, and then going on to this dating scene and uh, it's a plethora of people out there that, uh, and so what did you find? Well, I went through 47 Johns to find my prince. Oh, nice. 47. I, 47 of them, yeah. So wow. the biggest thing was I get out there all the time. I'm, I'm very social. And I kind of thought initially that I'll find someone because I just, I'm out there so much. And a, a few girlfriends had asked me to go online to, first of all, there was Plenty of Fish and there was matchmaking.com, all these all these other places. Initially, I didn't want to go on there because I thought, well, I've heard so many bad stories. But when I looked at the people telling me the bad stories, they were very bitter, very single, and just at hardened against men. So when I finally decided to go on those sites, I just found I was completely honest myself with my age, my weight, my everything like that. And I didn't know how else would I be? You know, I have to be honest with this. And unfortunately, I did find a lot of men lied about their their height, their weight, their age. Oh my gosh. There was a guy who had plastic surgery and had a really good plastic surgeon and Botox and all that stuff. Can and I get he, his number, please? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I already got the plastic surgeon's number. I, yeah. want the pl- I want the surgeon's number. I don't want the guy's number. Um, he was 30 years older than what he said. First of all, he lied, and then he lied again, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I think just, men and women both lie on, they online. Do, they yes, do. Yeah. yes. We don't want to just um, tar all the men with that. No, 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 no. That, because obviously there, there were some that were honest, and my John was honest. Mm-hmm. But again, the same thing was it just I didn't understand how people could be dishonest because that's not the beginning of a good relationship. Mm-hmm. So 47 is really not bad. You know, yeah. that's not a bad number to go through to find your prince. Uh, so what yeah, that was, was in of, one year, Maureen. Okay. Well, yeah. and, and was it one date each and you were just like, nope, done, pass, some, some of them, on to the next? Some of them multiples. Some of them were, you know, dated for a little bit, maybe a couple of weeks or something like that. But it was, you know, a lot of them were, I actually, I had seven dates in one day. So I was... Seven dates in one day. Yeah. So like coffee yeah. dates. Yeah. Coffee, coffee, cocktail, lunch, coffee, coffee. And then, yeah, it was interesting. And yeah. did any of them, like this is sounding a little bit like The Bachelor, you know, The Bachelor. Oh, it really was. Yeah. So was it a little bit like, oh, I could like him, I could like him, I could like that one, maybe not that one, well, I was, someone better? I was open, Maureen, to whatever the universe had for me. And I didn't want to say no to someone who had an intelligent conversation and gave me some, you know, interesting words. Like if we were speaking on the phone, there's a couple guys that I met with that I didn't speak on the phone and that was through a matchmaker. So that was a little bit interesting to meet them without any background knowledge. But on the seven dates in one day, it was literally like, oh, wow, you're so not who you said you were, you know, and just bounce to the next one say, you know what, I've I've got other appointments today. So thank you so Mm -hmm. much for your time. I appreciate that. And what, how about being attracted, you know, to somebody? Were there people you thought, oh, he's good looking, I could... Yeah, I could do him all day long. Yeah. There was well, a- I didn't exactly <laughs> say that, Jill. Okay, this is a family hour, and not to mention it's oh, a family show. Family show, family yes, show. Yes, exactly. So if we could keep it clean, Jill? Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Well, you said it's adult content. I heard you back there, girl. I heard you. Uh, it's a little early to be going to um, slay someone. But uh, so did you, but was there an attraction in, in, in spite of the dishonesty? Did you, did you find out about the dishonesty after you maybe were attracted to somebody or were you not attracted to anybody until your prince came along? No, oh, no, no. There was definitely attraction there. There was mm-hmm. attraction. And the biggest thing was oftentimes people wouldn't come right out with their dishonesty. It might take a few dates to find that out. So mm-hmm. as soon as that came out, it was, you know, cut the ties and, and that moving seems, on. That seems to be the biggest thing. Do you think is that the main tenet out there on the dating sites is that people are not being honest? 
I think so. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I'm still hearing it from other people. And, and even my guy, when he was online, you know, women would say they're, they're looking a certain way and they look completely opposite. And, and I just, it, it just is, it's so strange to me to be so dishonest when you're entering into something that is so beautiful and pure and, and, you know, lifelong, hopefully, you know, when you're in a relationship. Right. We're going to be talking about polyamorous relationships later on mm. in the program. Um, people who like to love a lot, and it's not necessarily about um, getting under the sheets uh, with them. But uh, so, the, so is it a minefield uh, out there on that digital dating scene? Did you find that it was that that we wanted every day? Were you were, was your objective? I'm going to meet somebody. Yeah, I was in it to win it, and I literally it was almost like a job for me in in the sense that it, I wasn't desperate, but I just when I finally realized that I want to be in love again, that I I was just I was intent. I had intention and I knew what I wanted to do, so I just did it. And it's it's just, it's got me to where I'm at. And did it get you down at, at all along the way? Did you think, I'm never going to meet anybody here, all these dishonest, uh, short, bald guys that <laughs> <laughs> that are 30 years older than they say they are? Uh, were you thinking, like, am I ever going to meet, uh, you know, my... My prince, or did no? You- I was never. I mean, there, there's moments that you're like, oh, for the love of God, like how can you be so weird? And I mean, there's such strange and perilous and just really oddballs. But again, it's it's just life. That's who people are sometimes. They're yeah, just yeah. Strange and, individuals. You know, but really, only the truth is interesting. So I'm going to mm. ask you to stay on uh, after the news because I. Um, since you have such great experience in this minefield, I'm going to ask you what you recommend uh, for people who might be find, who might be finding themselves single again, who might mm. be out there on the dating scene, and and uh, what your recommendations are. You've written a great book, Date Did What, and that's always very really helpful. The information to find out what you know what online dating is like what it is to meet people out in public that you have you know never met before and you know what does it take how do you remain safe and all of those questions so i'm I'm really glad that you'll uh, stay in the studio and share your amazing love story with us all i am maureen mcgrath and you are yes you are listening to the sunday night health show Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I am a registered nurse. I have a sexual health clinical practice. Uh, So I'm very interested in sex and relationships and and love and all of that. And Jill Sinclair, author of Date Did What, joins me in studio to give you advice on entering the digital dating scene. First of all, I want to uh, read out a little tweet from uh, not anyone that I know. That's for darn sure. Um... But he said, come on, Maureen, short, bald guys are cute. Not when they claim they're tall with hair. That's when they're not so cute. And that was yours, Jill. So take it away, Jill. Um, What advice do you give to somebody uh, heading out there into the dating, the digital dating scene? Because that's the way it is today. It is. uh, Don't be afraid. And obviously be honest. Don't be afraid. Jump into it and don't take it too seriously. In, in, the, in the sense that um, people are going to be strange, they're going to be a little bit different, and just find your, your strange for you, you know? There was a guy I remember went on a date with, and it was very obvious after about half an hour in that I just it wasn't really feeling it. Nice enough guy, but he, he totally in the friend zone. And so I happened to, you know, I had parked around the corner, and he said, I'll walk you to your car. I'm like, I'm cool. He's like, so we was walking that way anyways. 
And uh, he comes to my car. He's like, you know what? I choose you. And I'm like, okay, sorry there, buddy, but I don't choose you. So he's like, no, 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 you, 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 I choose you. You are mine. I'm like, no, no, you're, I'm not yours. You need to just move on. Be gracious about this and just carry on, cowboy. Well, good for you to actually have the confidence to speak up to be able to say that. I'm not sure I'd have that same level of confidence, and a lot of people out there might not as well. What did you mean by find your strange for you? Well, everyone's a little strange, and my honey would say, yeah, she's right with that one. Um, everyone's got something different, something quirky, something that is just theirs. And you need to find someone that embraces that for you and with you because um, I bounce off the ceilings. I'm that person that has a lot of different energy. And, and so for me to find my guy, the love of my life, he just gets it and he understands that. And he's he's just, he's that, that boat in the water that just chugs along and I'm that guy, 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 guy. You know, so I mean, some people find me a little bit strange, a little bit different, but I mean, find that person that just embraces all of who you are. And did you know right away when you met him, will somebody out there know automatically when they see that person yes. at Starbucks? Or? Yes. Actually, in fact, it was a coffee date. I didn't go on a lot of just coffee dates, um, but I had spoken with John uh, several times before and we had decided, he said, Jill, you know what? Um, it sounds like you're a lovely human being and I really am excited to meet you. Um are you okay if we just meet for coffee first? Because I've had a couple of really bad experiences. So for him to say that, I'm just, oh my gosh. Like and you'd had even... 46 bad experiences. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so for him to say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's such a great communicator. So it was like literally, Maureen, a dark and stormy night. It was February 15th. I don't normally remember dates, but I kind of did because it was right after Valentine's. And I uh, pulled around the corner and it's in a Starbucks and I see him sitting there. I'm like, oh, must be still my heart, be still my heart. And then when I get to the door, he stands up and opens the door for me at Starbucks. Are you kidding me? So, and it was just like from then on, we closed the, the coffee shop down. Um, and he says, this is a sign of a very good date is we closing this coffee shop down. Like we're the last two in there. They're sweeping around us. They're putting the, the stools up. And, and literally we both knew. I mean, was it like bam, boom, you know, fireworks like last night in Vancouver here? Um, it was just this, this knowing of, wow, this guy's, this guy's it. So there's a little criticism on uh, dating sites that all men want on there is sex. Mm. So would you say that's a myth or do you think that's true? I think a significant number of them want that. Um, but there's also some women out there that just want sex. And that's called a pillow pal, right? And there's some of those that are, are in the book, you know, and, and sometimes you go through a stage and is that a wrong thing? Not necessarily. It's just what someone is craving or wanting or, or trying to fulfill in their life. They've got something missing and they're not ready to address it. So maybe that's filling the void. Speaking on, on my own behalf on that one. And would you think that a lot of people, that that might be difficult for people who are seeking a relationship? Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because again, you know, are, is someone really being honest? There, there's a gentleman that I've, I've met several times out and about and uh, met him with, with my guy and nice enough, but he literally has said out loud, I just want sex with women and, you know, if they don't get that, then, you know, that's too bad for them. I'm like, well, are you honest and open? He says, yeah, I am. He says, I don't want a relationship. I don't want this. I said, well, how often do you see these women? He says, oh, multiple times. I'm like, you know what? Here's the thing. They can hear you say that, but then your your behavior might not be showing that. You know, if you're if you're opening the door, if you're taking them for dinner, if you're treating them like a, a like a lady, like a partner, they're going to look at that as as a potential partner. You know, and you know, uh, you know, many people set out just to have sex, and but but feelings can come into play for sure uh, on either on either side of that. Yeah, um, you know, which can surprise people. So yeah. you know, many many people can say they just want to have sex 
but it can turn into a relationship. For sure. And I literally, I did have that. So I had a, there was a, a gentleman that I'd known around and this was well before John and, and, um, and, you know, we, we had seen each other at m- multiple events and there was just never the opportunity to kind of mm-hmm. meet up or whatever it was. And then I remember saying to him when we finally did meet up at a mutual friend's house, I said, you know, the, you know, use my arms in the universal way. Okay. You know, what we have here is, is, is just us, you know, outside of this, I, I, I want something just physical. That's all I want from you. And he's like, are you kidding me? No woman has ever said this to me. I'm like, well, I'm saying it too. You take it or leave it. Like, this is all I have to give you right now. And so, you know, we took it for a while and then he wanted the relationship. I'm like, no, I got to bounce because it wasn't what I was feeling. It wasn't what I wanted. And I own it. I was, it was in a, a place in my life that that's what I felt like I needed and I felt like I wanted. There's no shame in it whatsoever. It was, it was just a time in life. So. And on Twitter, there's a guy who wants you to talk more and more about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he doesn't like that I shut you down at the first family hour, first 15 family minutes. Um, so your book is now in Indigo, chapters, in chapters Indigo, Indigo, yeah, and on Amazon as well. So congratulations yeah, so uh, to that. So um, yeah, so I guess if people want to learn a little bit more about you and the book, they their best bet is is to go on my uh, Facebook, Jill, Sin- Jill Sinclair Entertainment, and also on Instagram, Ms. Jill Sinclair. And I've also got my next book signing at Park Royal Indigo on August 11th from 1230 to 3.30. It's going to be so much fun. A lot of girls, a lot of wine afterwards. So um, I want a lot of people to come out and just have fun and get to meet me. Read my book. It's Fantastic. fun. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much and congratulations on the great book and uh, getting it into chapters. Uh, when I come back, we're going to be switching gears a little bit and we're going to be talking about, um, not talking about the end of life. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. I'm Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you in the heat of summer. Some like it hot. I love it hot. Andrew, you like it hot? I no, I, I really oh. don't. I, I I I am a full. I am a full on. I anything over like eighteen Celsius, I'm like, okay, turn on the air conditioner. This is getting too much. Oh yeah, like, no, I just it, not me. I just I it just heat just makes me tired. Oh, dude. like it just just flattens me and like it makes you not want to do anything oh. whereas in the like in like if you're hot you can only take off so much clothing all of it right but <laughs> if you're cold you can just keep putting nice wool sweaters on you, this is true the level of comfort that you this can exist true. in is a lot yeah. higher i'm typically freezing which is probably why i love uh i love it hot i've been called a, i've been called a human space heater so it's the opposite for me. <laughs> i'm also in the sexual health field which is also why i like it hot um, and you know what? Heating things up is a good idea in your relationship. I'm going to be reviewing a little uh, infidelity study a little bit later that just has no merit if you ask me. But anyway, right now, I want to talk about the the end of life. But I, I realized, Andrew, well, if, first of all, I want to say if, if you have any questions at all, the number to call is one 399 if you have any questions about anything related to health or sex or relationships or love or hot hotness, heat. Um, but I do owe you a morgue story before we carry on oh, with yes. this end of life. 
I know it's a bit Which, of a grim thing to be, oh, yes, it's before grim. you talk about end-of-life care. but It is grim, I know, but this is like a love story. I'm going to share. I have, a, I have a number of morgue stories. It's my least favorite place to be, <laughs> let me tell you. But I'm going to share this one because I think there's a few lessons in there as well. Well, I was a hospital supervisor uh, for a brief period of time until they told me I had to actually escort people to the morgue. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm, uh, this, I'm done with this. Uh, so I had a call. It was a, a really hot Saturday afternoon. And I had a call and it was Mr. So-and-so's uh, partner, girlfriend, is coming to see him. Only Mr. So-and-so was in the morgue. And which always just made me, you know, immediately get a fever, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. I had to leave work. <laughs> I did not like to go into the morgue. So she had, she, they were in their 90s. She took a bus, you know, several city buses to get to where her um, lover, the love of her life was, who she actually, I don't believe she ever married him, but they were, had been together for like 40 or 50 years. And so she'd come over every day to visit him on the bus. And then the one day, you know, he passed in the night, but his children had never gotten over the fact that he and his first wife, their mother had divorced. So they never accepted her. It was 50 years. It might've even been 60 years. It was a long time. And so this sweet little woman in her nineties off the bus hot as anything, had realized that her the love of her life had passed away, and so she wanted to go and see him in the morgue. And um, I had to bring her in to see him. And, you know, it is literally, this is really macabre right now, but it's opening the refrigerator door and pulling out. Because prior to... Uh, Prior to my having that job, I guess, it used to be that the security officers would, would escort people into the... But then they decided to have the nurses do it somehow. And uh, so the security would do that. And I used to talk them into doing it for me. I hated it so much. But so she said her, his children knew that um, that he had died, but she wasn't the next of kin, so she wasn't notified. And her children, his children didn't have the the grace, the kindness, the thoughtfulness, the compassion to phone her and let her know that he had died. So she found out when she went up to the floor after getting on the bus to find out. And so she went in there and there was such love. I opened the refrigerator door, pull Mr. So-and-so out, and she literally was hugging him and kissing him and crying and having her last goodbyes. And so that was one of my sadder. But, you know, it also talks about, you know, all's fair in love and war. And, you know, sometimes uh, it's, you know, to hold on to hate uh, isn't, isn't beneficial. And it was just so sad that this woman felt so badly that, um, that she was not notified that, or, or wasn't able to be at the bedside of the man that she loved. So anyway, I have some more, more stories than that, but we're going to talk about um, what hospitals do uh, at the end of life for a lot of people, and they reflexively do this, and with, without even, and in part because the conversation isn't had prior to the person who is admitted to the emergency department, um, or the person who is diagnosed with cancer or a terminal illness, and so they may turn up and be put on a ventilator. Uh, which is, uh, you know, it's, it helps. It's like a breathing machine. It actually supports um, life. It supports um, 
the, the ability to um, breathe and then you can provide other medications. So for people who are having respiratory distress and many people turn up and, they, and they're in a panic, they're emotional and they may be gasping for air and maybe less alert and they may be at the end of their life. They may have had a, a diagnosis of cancer. They may be in their 80s and 90s. Their disease may be advanced and doctors may have even told them that they were dying and they may, may even be receiving hospice care at home. And so, but in that moment, in that moment where you're not ready to let somebody go, you're, you don't know what to expect. You don't know that um, patients will be uh, medicated so that they can be peaceful and restful. And so what happens in the moment uh, as you stabilize a patient and the person is unable to breathe, very few physicians in that moment think, what is, or, or even nurses or healthcare providers think, what is the chance that this patient will die regardless of what I do and how can I deliver the care that is best for him? And so reflexively, physicians place patients on ventilators. And I've seen a number of patients in my career who have been on ventilators needlessly, unnecessarily prolonging life. And it's because, and, and quite honestly, in a lot of cases, a very poor quality of life. So just to let you know that a ventilator or a breathing machine is a plastic tube that is inserted through the mouth and down into the lungs, and you are unconscious when it is uh, placed, uh, and it makes you, uh, renders you unable to communicate with anybody, so you actually can't speak to um, some people. And typically, you'll need other invasive procedures, like uh, inserting catheters, so you'd likely have one in your bladder, uh, in your carotid arteries, um, and that's to maintain human physiology. And many, at that time, there are very few clear paths to come off of a ventilator. And if people knew, they may not actually have this choice. That's why having that conversation about what you want the end of your life to look like uh, is an important conversation. And many people will say, I want everything done. Do everything for me, you know, and, and your wishes will be honored. Uh, and many people will say, I don't want to be on a ventilator. I don't want any heroic measures. You hear that term uh, quite often. Ventilators were originally designed to reduce the work of breathing until surgery, for example, or if you had an overwhelming infection or an, an, an accident and you were in the intensive care unit or you had some other acute critical condition um, to help to resolve that. But now they're commonly used for seriously ill older adults and if they are lucky enough to survive it, they often require prolonged hospital stays. And it can be days and weeks, um, if not months, that people can end up staying there. And then they can get nosocomial infections as well. And they may or may not, they may wait a long time for a rehab facility also, uh, should they make it um, that far. So in 2011, about a half a million older adults received this type of care in the U.S. And, and that amount is projected to double by 2020. And this is a rate of increase that is four times higher in patients with dementia whose conditions may never end. So we're actually doing this. Um, according to this study, we're doing this for people who have dementia. So this may actually, um, it can be really detrimental for them and, and in that condition because dementia is one of those conditions where you're at a certain level and then you can actually drop down and, and mostly people do not go back up to their baseline. Um, so that's probably um, 
assigned for hospice versus a ventilator. But many people will bring, you know, somebody may um, become incredibly confused, combative, um, you know, agitated. And so they may bring them to the emergency department and then, you know, maybe to calm them down. Uh, they may have issues um, with breathing. And, and so... This is something that may happen for people, regardless, they may have advanced lung cancer, for example. And so you want to be able to select the appropriately, um, the appropriate patients that are seriously ill who will recover from uh, being on a ventilator. And that's not necessarily straightforward. That's not easy to do. But one of the most important things you can do with your family is to talk about this conversation. Uh, what would you like the end of your life to look like? And or, or if an accident had happened as well, uh, how would you like that to go? Because you do have input in that. You know what? You can change your mind. Nothing is etched in stone. And I, I had a, a patient whose father uh, went in and had a living will, and he said that um, it, he had said no heroic measures. And then when he got into the hospital, he changed his mind. And at that moment, he said, "No, I want you to ventilate me." He, you know, he was having difficulty breathing. He had aspirated. He had fallen, and he had aspirated. And he changed his mind, and they did ventilate him, and he's still alive. <laughs> um, you know, a year later, uh, so he actually did recover. But that's not always the case. Um, and so it's difficult to know how long people will live. And so there's a, a predictive factor as to how much longer patients will live. And this, uh, there was a study about what would happen to older adults if they were placed on a ventilator. And 35,000 patients who were older, over the age of 65 and placed on ventilators across 262 hospitals between 28 and 2015 uh, were studied. And so I want to uh, review with you after the news what this uh, doctor came up with to help clinicians and patients think together um, about the best way, and, and actually it's, it's a lovely illustration, um, the best way to determine your chances of living after you have been put on a ventilator. So it's uh, divided between survive and return home, your chances of surviving and discharge to a nursing home, and your chances of dying in the hospital. And this might surprise you. So when I come back, we'll review Everything from the 60s to the 70s, the 80s to the 90s, and over 90 years of age. I am Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to Life and Death here on the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.